and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through another award-winning show. We're still basking in the glory of our Neil Award with my co-host, PR Week's executive editor, Frank Washkirk. How you doing, Frank? Good to be here, Steve. Did I get it right? Yes, you did. You did. Sometimes get Frank's job title wrong, so uh, that's good. We've got two Franks this week. We've got Frank Shaw, Chief Communications Officer at Microsoft. Welcome back to the show, Frank. How are you doing? It's great to be here. Lots of stuff going on. There always is, and uh, we're really going to dig into AI with Frank Shaw and Frank Washkirk, and uh, and then we're going to talk about agencies because we released that big agency business report this week, our biggest chunk of content of the year, lots of trends, numbers, infographics, all sorts of things, inspirational quotes to dig into. So we're going to make it a big special about the agency world, and obviously that doesn't exist without clients. So we will dig into that and um, have a deep dive into the findings and the profiles and all the good stuff there. But Frank, Frank Shaw, um, you can't really turn around in the last six months without hearing AI. I mean, bombardment of stories, coverage. It's going to change the world. It's going to change every industry. It's as important as electricity and the wheel. And um, it's certainly got everyone talking and you, you obviously at microsoft and with open ai you've, you've been leading on this so why don't you set the scene what are the possibilities for ai and how is it going to change the world yeah well i think it is it's super exciting i mean we're in the middle of like a really big technology platform shift uh driven uh, in this case by ai and specifically by some of the large language models that are now uh, being used and I don't think I will go as big as like electricity or uh, fire <laughs> or anything like that. But I mean, it's as big a platform shift as we've seen, you know, in the past, you know, 30 years. The one that um, the one that I think about really is that first jump uh, to the Internet uh, back in the early 1990s when mm -hmm. Mosaic came on and there was a browser that people could now actually go and. Uh, go to different websites and different uh, see different images and get access to information in a way that was available before, but only if you were super technical. And you know, I remember living through that time and 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 seeing this and getting super excited about it from both from a business standpoint and what was going to happen, and also from a communication standpoint because you could even see early on how you could reach people differently. Uh, using this new technology, and I ran around trying to convince clients and the wood products industry um, at the time. So, Were you at Wagner Edstrom back then? No, I was at a small agency in Portland. Okay. And I was telling clients, you know, you need to register your domain name so that mm -hmm. you could be found on the World Wide Web. And this was before, uh, you know, these things were big. And I, I did not have much success, to be honest, uh, <laughs> convincing them to register a domain name. But it was, uh, you know, it changed the way we communicate. It, it allowed us to, to reach people differently. It changed the news media. And of course, it changed business. Um, and that's what it feels like right now as uh, we look at uh, AI. Uh, the technologies that are out there let people do things that they couldn't do before uh, in, in really interesting ways. And as you look at it, you can see how it will change the way we communicate, how we will change the way we work. Um, and, you know, that's just super exciting. And you know, we've got a lot of products in the market to uh, uh, help that happen. 
Yeah, it feels, I don't know if I'm right in, in this analogy, but it feels a bit like the dot-com boom. And actually, a lot of the real products only really happened after the bust, didn't they? When, when search, you know, Google really um, got its act together, Facebook came along, uh, there was high-speed internet, you know, broadband, which there wasn't before. And it was almost like, it, it almost feels like we're in that period now where everyone's super excited about it, but nobody's yet necessarily worked out how to use it best and how it's going to change what they do. Is that a fair, fair analogy? Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm not sure I would use the dot-com boom and bust necessarily, but it's, it's a good analogy. I do think that it's like, this is why I think when the browser first came into existence, you know, businesses didn't quite know what they were going to do with it. The concept of e-commerce wasn't there. Uh, building an audience, if you were a journalist, uh, you know, really wasn't there. But you could start to see what those possibilities were like. And so that that move to the web, um, and then you know the uh, the you know the big browser race between Microsoft and and Netscape's more and more people piled on, and then businesses piled on. Everybody had to build their own website. Um, and then what happened after that is that as the infrastructure built out, there was euphoria um, and, you know, a lot of probably plausibly bad ideas that mm. got funded and then, uh, you know, didn't work out. But it left us with all sorts of interesting learnings. And, you know, we built uh, as an industry from there. And, and, you know, there's not a company in the world that would start up today and not think, gosh, I have to have a web presence. Um, That's right. And, yeah. uh, a mobile app, if I'm talking to uh, um, broad consumers, and I think in the future, you know, people will start thinking about having AI technologies built into the products and services they offer, and the way they work will be just as common. If you had to explain in a sentence or two what AI is and what it's changing, how would you do that? Ooh, in a sentence. Uh, I would say that uh, the new AI has the ability to um, look at and interact with massive amounts of information and do a better job of synthesizing and simplifying it and answering questions uh, than the previous models have had. Got it. And of course, previous models would probably have been more based around humans if you look at the big stories this week, just take this week as an example, we've got the IBM statement on AI and saying that, you know, they're going to prioritize uh, tasks um, and maybe not employ as many people and, and put a lot of stuff through AI. You've got the writer's strike in Hollywood, you know, with uh, writers concerned about the rise of AI in their industry. And then we had uh, Jeffrey Hinton at Google, who's kind of one of the gurus of the AI world, who's quit warning of the dangers of AI. And there, there will always be bad actors with any new technology. Sometimes they get in first. Uh, what's your take on that? And how do you react to people who are just concerned that one, it's going to take their jobs and two, that actually it's going to be used for negative reasons and, and uh, you know, egregious uh, actions? Yeah. Well, so I, a couple of things. Let's just, <clears throat> let's just start with the, the jobs piece is that uh, if, if we go back in time and we look at the jobs that comms or PR people did, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, there was a set of people who did things like uh, do clipping books uh, for yeah. clients. Um, and you know, like, I remember staying up till three or four o'clock in the morning, stuffing press kits uh, at an <laughs> event. Uh, 
And we don't do that anymore. Um, and the people that we're doing that are doing different things now than, than they were. So those, those specific um, tasks went away, but the job of being a communicator or being a PR person uh, did not. It continued to change and evolve. And I think that's a lot of what we're going to, to see now. So, you know, the, uh, there will be demand for people uh, to do high demand things and the tools they use will change. Uh, you know, even think about reporting, right? You know, like the, uh, the tools that a reporter uses today is dramatically different, but the net outcome is still the same, a great story. Same for a documentary filmmaker, same for a musician. So new tools always come in. So instead of thinking about AI as this sort of amorphous blob that is going to do things to us, I find it much more helpful to think about it as a collection of tools that can help us do what we want faster uh, and more easily, and in some cases more joyfully, which which is uh, which is a good thing. Um, you know, the question about you know whether AI is good or bad, uh, I think remains to be seen. It's like any tool; you can use it for good things and you can use it for for negative things, and it's up to us to decide. Is it concerning that someone like Jeffrey Hinton, you know, who's mentored a lot of people in the AI space, including people at Microsoft, that he's come out and said something like that? You know, he's genuinely worried and, and warns about the dangers of AI. What, is, is that something to be worried about or is that just a, someone who's reflecting, at, uh, you know, toward the back end of their career? Well, I, I think that uh, the, the points he's making are points that we absolutely have to consider as we think about AI safety and AI responsibility. Uh, and, you know, I think Microsoft and others in the space have been, you know, for years operating from a consistent value-based sense of how we would use AI. We published our first AI values uh, piece seven years ago. Uh, so it's not like we just woke up and said, hey, we should be thinking about this. Um, so the, the points that people make around, like, think about this are good. And so now we have to follow through on it and make sure that we are thinking about it and that we're working responsibly uh, to bring this technology to the world in a way that is net helpful. Frank, how do you see it improving communications tools or the things that would help folks like yourselves do your job better? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. I think there's a couple of things that, uh, you know, we have to do. One is that we just have to start, um, experimenting like crazy because anybody who says they know exactly what's going to be useful right now, the more committed they are to that, the more likely they are to be wrong. And so the way to be less committed is just to, to experiment like crazy. So at Microsoft, we have a, you know, a communications co-pilot that we've set up which has a bunch of tools that are available uh, to communicators here so they can start to play with uh, the technology and experiment with it. Uh, you know, there's a Q&A generator uh, that uh, you can you know, put in the name of a reporter and the topic that you want to talk about and get a list of uh, expected questions. Uh, and uh, then you can you know, generate answers to the questions from the documents that, uh, that you've prepared already. Um, and then, you know, it's not perfect, right? You know, we're probably, in fact, we are, you know, better at coming up with uh, the questions, but it's a great place to start uh, on that. And so, like, that's just one example of, of the uh, set of things that you're, we're looking at. And then I think more importantly is, you know, we have to start thinking about all the jobs to do in between, like, where we start and where we end. 
and then think about where might AI be helpful and then test it. So the, the team that runs our um, uh, owned channels, our, our story sites and things like that, they do a lot of work, a lot of content creation. And you know they have a list of like from story idea to, to story publishing, like what are the steps? And then they looked at each step and they said, now we're going to use this set of AI tools and then we're going to judge it. Is this helpful or is this not helpful? And then they published it out to the team. Here's what we've learned, right? Hey, meeting summarization as you're brainstorming, mostly pretty good. Helpful, great. You know, um, analysis of an existing uh, piece of content, got some things wrong. So it could be helpful, but maybe next version of the technology, not what we're using now, et cetera. And so, you know, each function at every company, uh, regardless of what they're doing over time, should be looking at this, like, hey, what are the steps between where I'm starting and where I'm finishing and where can I get a little bit of a boost uh, from um, uh, some of the new tools that are out there? Interesting you mentioned content there, Frank, because we spoke to Mark Stoos at Propel AI in the agency report, actually, and he's he has a fairly stark opinion of what's going to happen. He says PR firms are now doing so much content that it makes up, I don't know, 50% plus of their um, activities. They've kind of replaced a lot of the media relations activity with content. And his view is that generative AI is just going to replace it and that that's going to be a problem for agencies because it will, it will literally take that valuable new revenue stream away. What do you, what do you, what would you respond to that? Well, it's hard to say, uh, you know, like I said, the more, the more convicted people are, the more likely they are to be wrong. I think that there is a lot of really good thinking that goes into a piece of content um, that does not go away. Uh, and so I am probably slightly more optimistic about uh, uh, the value of creativity in this, in this new world um, as a differentiator, whether it's creating content or, or doing anything else. So I think a lot of people are at the stage where they're kind of tr- t- testing this out, you know, write me a blog or, or write me a list or do me a Q&A. Have you got any tips for people to sort of narrow down that process so that not just taking the first thing that it spits out or to intelligently interrogate the technology so that what you get back is much more accurate and much more useful? Are there any tips that you can give PR pros and, and people in the media as well? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, as, as somebody who is a decent writer, uh, you know, anybody who is a good writer, and I would put most, you know, people in the community, many people in the communications function in that space, you know, the existing tech set of the state of the art, you're better than it right now. Right? You know, like, I know that you could write a better essay than, uh, you know, Bing Chat or ChatGPT or Bard or, or any of those things. Uh, and so the question is not can you have it do something for you, but like, can it help you get started? Mm-hmm. Uh, can it help you transition from one idea to the next? Um, and so, you know, leaning into, you know, what you're good at and then figuring out how to be better at it as, as opposed to just saying, hey, write, write me a blog post. Uh, now, if you're a bad writer or you're an inexperienced writer, these tools can be phenomenal because they they raise the bar uh, quite a bit uh, from like you know from being not comfortable with something to really 
having, you know, good structure, good ideas, uh, uh, being better able to express it. So like, that's where we see a lot of value uh, in this. You know, uh, uh, when you think about um, one of our products is uh, that we've rolled out as a security co-pilot, which helps uh, defenders um, find uh, uh, cyber attacks. But a part of being a defender is, is being able to communicate rapidly and clearly about what's happening. And there are times when people who are great engineers are not necessarily great at clear, concise communications. But because we've built this with the same GPT-4 technology that powers things like Bing Chat, you know, you can have an engineer who is engaged in like blocking a cyber attack, jot down a couple of notes and have it generate a clear update uh, to the other people involved. That's a huge value add. Um, and then to make sure I answer your question, uh, there is a direct correlation between asking great questions and getting good answers back. So the concept of like being a good prompter is, uh, is very similar to being a good uh, questioner. So when you write good questions and you provide good detail um, and ask the right questions, you get significantly better responses than if you just sort of like throw stuff at the wall. Okay, so journalists and good PR pros should be uh, should should be good at that. So, so I, they can... I think the value of a liberal arts education is getting higher and higher. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Um, just to finish up, Frank, on this segment, what's uh, what's next for the AI journey for Microsoft? Obviously, you're working on various various fronts. Is there anything we should be looking out for? Yeah, I mean, we've got new features uh, that uh, are coming out with Bing uh, Chat, uh, making it more available uh, to to people. Uh, bringing in the capability of starting to take actions based on the um, the queries. So you can have plugins that allow you to ac accomplish things uh, in the same session that you're in. So I think that will be fun. And then internally, you know, for businesses, we're starting to roll out some of the Microsoft 365 uh, co-pilots that help people um, at work. You know, I've been using these tools. They're, they're really great. It's like being given a superpower at the end of a meeting to have a, a recap and action items within seconds, as opposed to, um, you know, hours is just phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And it saves someone having to write everything up, doesn't it? So, uh, that's right. yeah, yeah that's, that, we should use that one, Frank, uh, in, uh, in Haymarket. Yeah. Well, great to uh, get your expertise, Frank, and um, looking forward to getting your input on the agency world as well. But uh, thanks for that. Frank, let's talk agency business report, our biggest chunk of content of the year. You can see all the details, prweek.com. There's loads to dig into, and I hope you really do, because um, hell of a lot of work went into it across the whole team, and uh, lots of nuggets and trends and agency profiles and inspirational stuff and data. So let's talk the big numbers first, Frank. Where are we at as a market after 2022? It's largely a positive story as we head toward, well, we're in the second quarter, of uh, 2023, but as it goes to 2022, um, growth up on a very, very strong 2021 uh, globally was 13%, which I think was uh, probably topped what people thought it was going to be a year earlier. And it was even better than that in the U.S. at about 15%. Um, so uh, I have to preface this by saying it's a bit of a it's a bit of a tale of two stories, right? And that it's a it's a very strong 2022 for the agency sector on top of a strong 2021 
but I think a lot of agency CEOs will will tell you they're expecting a much tougher year in 2023. So, uh, but it was uh, the momentum continued through last year. Yeah, definitely. I think in, in 21, it was up 18 and 19% respectively globally and in the US. So the growth in 22 was on top of a fantastic year in 2021. But we've already seen with the Q1 numbers, Omnicom was 5.8%, I think, and others were below that. Yes. So that's more the range that we're seeing in the first part of the year and not much around to indicate that it's going to grow massively beyond that. But hey, that, that would have been good growth in a, in a normal year. We That's kind right. of spoiled a little bit. It still reflects uh, an industry that is punching way higher than it used to with uh, a new respect from the C-suite. That was uh, the quotes in in our trends piece. Winnie Lerner at FGS, a great quote about that. The PR is seen just in a, a better light and a, and a more positive light by CEOs and C-suites, and they know what it brings to the table. But you're right, Richard Edelman said that it's going to be more of a fight in 2023. And numerous CEOs uh, were expecting a tougher uh, tougher time, especially in the tech sector, but not just there. And um, we saw a little bit of a decline in healthcare, not really surprisingly, because I had two such ginormous years, obviously, through the COVID pandemic. And uh, But it was interesting. Frank, you've, you've worked in the industry on both sides uh, of the house uh, for decades. And what did you make of the overall big numbers? The, the industry does seem to be in rude health generally, right? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things happening. One is that uh, I really agree with the point that, uh, you know, businesses in general have really grown to appreciate the value that the communications function is, is providing, not just in crisis, but just sort of uh, overall as uh, everybody navigates the changes that are happening. And so that value is reflected both in internally and in the work that uh, agencies are asked to provide. So it's certainly a strong, uh, a strong place to come from. Yeah, it's gone way beyond media relations, hasn't it? It's, yeah. uh, it's right into, as you said, employee engagement, crisis management, um, strategic business change, and, and all those good, good areas. Frank, what, we did a, a trends feature. What were the other things that stood out for you in that? I think what we've mentioned overall in terms of a tougher outlook for 2023, but uh, we did mention some big pullback uh, in the health sector. But um, I think those are going to be the major things as we get into 2023. And you could really tell, I think, talking to agency CEOs, just how closely they're watching every uh, economic uh, bellwether. Uh, you know, whether it's the GDP, the growth numbers and various other things as they uh, as they look to how they can navigate uh, the rest of this year. Yeah. And Frank, um, sure. Um, we spoke to uh, Kim at the PR Council and um, she was talking about the client's role in this because obviously none of this exists without the clients and saying that the agencies were seeing a bit of a change in attitude, maybe shorter assignments, fewer AORs, maybe more three-month assignments and procurement getting much more involved in PR just as they are in other consultancy services. Um, what what, do you, what did you make of that and, and how does that tally with your experience at Microsoft? Yeah, we haven't, uh, you know, we haven't made any uh, big changes in terms of how we engage uh, with our agencies. As you know, I think, you know, we have two long-term agency relationships in the United States, one with uh, Edelman and one with uh, we, and we feel great about, you know, the long-term value that, uh, that we get. And so that's why we invest in the relationships uh, uh, there. I do think that, uh, you know, there are certainly more uncertainty in the markets 
broadly than I've seen in quite some time. And you just get conflicting signals. So I think the, uh, you know, whether it's a, a low, low unemployment rate, interest rates, geopolitical stress makes it more difficult to sort of look too far into the future with confidence. And so I do think that there's a lot of uh, caution uh, that uh, in the short term that people are looking at. Yeah, and I, I would also add to that an interesting trend that popped up in the broader trends feature uh, was that, you know, anecdotally CEOs like Chris Foster are saying, you know, look, what what we do is more important to CEOs than it ever was before because of COVID and, and return to office and other issues like that. But there was that interesting stat uh, in that conference board study with the PR council uh, that showed that a lot of CCOs still are having trouble measuring, you know, uh, putting into numbers. Uh, what they do and how is it is important to the greater business. So a bit of a divide there. Yeah, well, that's a, that's an old chestnut, Frank. Yeah. Uh, do you, Frank Shaw, do you feel we you've got the tools to convince your CEO and the C-suite that, that what your your teams are doing is really adding value? Yes, uh, and it, you know the tools always evolve too. So the the tools that we might have used five years ago or six years ago, you know, you have to continue bringing them forward. But, you know, we but honestly, we've seen over and over in the past year, there is a stark difference between a company executing well at a communications level and not executing well. And the companies that don't execute well are punished in the market. And that's visible to people That's visible to other CEOs. You know, it's an existence proof of like you get it right or you get punished. And so, you know, like that is that is something that is more visible than it's ever been. That's so true. I mean, you look at the coverage of the Budweiser AB InBev incident and the concentration on the share price implications, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, absolutely. And of course, a lot of the best PR is stuff that we never actually see. So uh, that's that's uh, valued internally, but it's difficult to put a number on it. The other thing I, I noticed, uh, Frank Washkirk, is um, more of a concentration on higher value services. So if you yes. look at FGS Global, the roll-up of WPP firms, look at Edelman, they're, they're investing in high-end consultancy, in government relations, in sort of financial stuff with a higher profit margin because as Michael Kempner, MW, uh, Mike Worldwide, I should say, pointed out, it's not just about revenues. You've got to be profitable. And there's a much higher margin on that sort of work. Yeah, and you see this in, in how a lot of the larger firms have brought themselves to market uh, differently over the past few years. Uh, we also see it in the Weber-Shanwick profile this year uh, with uh, an increased focus on consultancy-like work uh, from them. And you mentioned uh, a few of the acquisitions that Edelman has made and its growth uh, in, in its more specialized services, both in the Palestina. U.S. Yep, and, um, and uh, overseas. Yeah, Smithfield and the growth of that. So yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. All right, what about the rankings, Frank? Was there anything that jumped out of the rankings table? We had two hundred plus firms give us their numbers, or we estimated them in the holding company cases. Yeah, it's so the thing that I think would you know immediately jump out to most people about uh, the rankings tables this year is is of course, and we've talked about this before. For the first time, we have a firm over the one billion dollar mark. We have six firms uh, over uh, five hundred million dollars in annual revenue globally, 
for the year. But there's also um, it, it, uh, there's some new names nearing the top at making big moves, whether that's uh, Real Chemistry in the number six spot at over $550 million in revenue for last year. There's Vector, which is very, very close uh, to the 500 Japanese mil- agents. Yes, to the $500 million mark. Uh, and, and you're seeing a lot of other movement. Uh, you know, you already mentioned FGS Global uh, looking to crack the, uh, the top 10, right? Right at number 11 at 420 million. Uh, and so, you know, looking to see how these these newer firms uh, make their mark. I mean, a lot of innovative work. You've mentioned at FGS Global and high profit margin work. Uh, and, you know, we've talked before about uh, the interesting and AI focused things that real chemistry is doing. Uh, so interested to see how these firms move around uh, in the next couple of years. Yeah, it's worth reading the profiles to see the agencies that are talk, <coughs> excuse me, talking about AI and real chemistry is definitely one of them. And uh, interesting to see the overall revenue numbers. Okay, it's up 13% yeah. revenue, but it's only up 8% in staff. So uh, there's, uh, you know. A lot, of, uh, a lot of work going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of work going on. I like that. And uh, it's also noteworthy that the top 50 still make up, you know, roughly 90% of overall revenue. So uh, we did uh, profile some up-and-comers, Frank, as well. So it's worth checking those out. So yeah, we didn't just absolutely. speak to the big companies. Absolutely. Uh, let me point out a few. Um, there is uh, Small Girls PR uh, based on the West Coast, which has some interesting and innovative uh, accounts and um, Strange Brew Strategies, which really has a, an interesting niche in uh, green tech, uh, which is an area that's bound to grow a lot because of the, the legislation that's passed federally over the past year. Had them on the podcast. Yep. Um, yeah. So uh, check out all the profiles. There's, a, there's about 50 of them. Really uh, gives an interesting insight. Frank Shaw, would you use, I'm sure Microsoft uses high-end management consultancy firms. Would you, do you think there's more of a likelihood of um, a Microsoft or any any big corporation choosing one of the high-end PR firms to do the sort of work that maybe would more typically have been associated with an Accenture or a Deloitte or another consultancy? Yeah, the answer is is maybe. I mean, I think it's uh, in in some ways when you look at uh, work we've done. Sometimes when we're doing an acquisition, uh, uh, as an example, or uh, you know, not us specifically, but if there's you know shareholder issues, you know, you you end up working with firms that feel more like consulting firms than classic communications agencies mm-hmm. uh, because you know they understand the details way better than uh, a more general purpose agency uh, might. So there's certainly room uh, to look at that sort of work. Yeah, yeah. It's always worth uh, looking at what the world's biggest agency, Edelman, Frank mentioned, over a billion dollars in its uh, 70th anniversary year. And uh, Richard Edelman told us that he's going to be a bit more outspoken in defense of the agency on certain issues, including climate and working with countries like Saudi Arabia. He's, his quote in, in the piece was, it's soft power and it's about the culture of Saudi Arabia being exposed to the world and the people of Saudi Arabia being exposed to Western culture. So that's his sort of justification for working and doing that type of work. And I should mention, we're going to have our first live podcast podcast at a healthcare conference on uh, May the 24th in New York City. And uh, our two guests are Sally Sussman from Pfizer and Richard Edelman. So it's going to be a great show and we'll have them uh, as to kick off the conference. So get your ticket to come along to the first live PR Week uh, podcast show and uh, really looking forward to that. 
Let's talk about um, some of the data we collected, Frank. We've got things like staff turnover, women-led offices, and then, of course, DE&I. Yeah, so to take staff turnover first, uh, you've seen a lot of stabilization over the past year um, from a super high uh, top 15 agency submitting in 2021. Turnover rate was was almost 30%, and in 2022 it drops uh, all the way down to 22.8%. And then you have a number of large firms that say their turnover rate uh, is below 10%. So uh, if there was any doubt the great resignation is over, it definitely seems to be. Some other stats we collected for the agency business report uh, include diversity numbers across agencies, uh, which while there was a lot of progress in some areas, there's definitely still a lot of work to be done uh, across firms. Uh, and so that, I think, is a, is a top finding because we, we remember all of the attention that was uh was paid to this issue after George Floyd's murder in 2020. Uh, and, and you know there's a lot of people in the industry who believe that this has uh, – it's not as much of a priority to a lot of agencies as it was before. Um, so, you know, hoping they get back on track with that. And uh, we've also collected data uh, that varies greatly about women-led agencies. Um, and it's – excuse me, women-led offices – Again, 18 of the biggest agencies profiled in this year's agency business report, only 42% uh, of the offices uh, are women-led for the top 18. Uh, And that was actually a higher number in 2021 than 2022. So that was a bit surprising. Um, But as you mentioned before, when you look at the homepage for the agency business report of the 40 agencies profiled, 20 of them are led by women. Uh, So uh, again, a little bit of a disconnect there uh, between one number and the other. That's a big change. So this is the 14th of these reports that I've worked on, which, um, yeah, I had a full head of hair when I started them. And um, at the first one I did, there were very few women in the, in the top roles. So that's good to see that half of CEOs are now women, although that still doesn't reflect the amount of women in the industry, which is nearer three quarters. Right. But it's true also to say that there is a lot more work to be done on ethnic diversity. Only three of those uh, CEOs profiled are ethnically diverse. And uh, that's something that that does still need a lot of improvement. We there are, there are other folks in the industry like Chris Foster, who runs Omnicom PR Group. Um, there's uh, Lisa, Lisa Osborne-Ross, who runs the U.S. Uh, operations of Edelman. So, but in terms of the top person, there are still... Uh, a lot, long way to go. And it feels like diversity in numbers are ticking up, but they're not really leaping up. So they're up one or 2%. And uh, maybe the the uh, momentum has slowed a little. Frank Shaw, what do you think about that? You know, we obviously after uh, George Floyd's murder, 2021, um, racial reckoning, there was a lot of attention paid to it. Do you feel like the, the, the sort of focus on that has died off a little? And how do we make sure that it doesn't? Well, I don't think that it has died off. I think that um, there, again, like I will just uh, you know speak for the work that we do. We see tremendous value in having diverse teams. Like there is real business value. We do better work when we have teams that look more like the world that we're um, we're trying to reach, and 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 to get that you know, you have to really take a long-term view on it because you can't just flip a switch and get it overnight. There isn't any, you know, silver bullet that will solve the the problem. Um, so you have to be committed to it over time. 
and when you're committed to it over time, you know, some years you'll show show bigger gains and some years you might show smaller gains, but that doesn't mean that it's changed. Just if you look at the, the numbers you were talking about, if retention is strong and you, you're not growing the team in a significant way, then then your chance to make changes in the, the makeup of the team will go down. And that means that every hire you make, you really need to do a great job of making sure that you have phenomenal talent uh, that uh, that happens to be diverse uh, because you won't have very many opportunities. But even if you make a couple of hires uh, in that in that year, it likely won't change your numbers overall, but you're still pushing in the right uh, in the right direction. And then equally importantly, you have to make sure you're retaining the people that you have brought on. Yeah, that's really important. It's no point having people just stick around for six months. Yeah, I don't care how many people you hire. If, if they drop out of the uh, uh, company at higher rates than, than others do, then you're, you're just not going to make progress. And so you have to create that culture of inclusion um, that allows people to feel like they, they belong, that they see a role for themselves, they see themselves having growth. And so there are some, sometimes you'll do great at that. Other times you might fall short, but you just have to work at it every single day. Yeah. One uh, area where you as a client have a, a, a role to play, I guess, is making sure your agencies are diverse, right? And uh, mm-hmm. is still slightly depressing that one of the holding companies, Omnicom, doesn't even give, give its numbers. It won't even give its diversity numbers. It's the only hold, holding company out there that doesn't do it. And it just seems anathema to me. And at some point, clients are going to say, listen, yeah, I mean, maybe they're giving them to the clients in private. But uh, if you're not even prepared to talk about it, uh, that surely is not a good sign. Would you ever say to an agency, would you ever sort of say, look, or how do you assess your agencies on on metrics like that, Frank? We do, uh, you know, and, and we've evolved our metrics over time as well. I mean, we have uh, your point around women owned uh, is is a great one. That's something that we started tracking from a procurement standpoint years ago. And then, you know, we've added additional trackers to make sure that we're looking at doing business with diverse suppliers, diverse owned suppliers. And then you look at the makeups of the teams that you have. And, and you know, I would encourage all clients to make sure they're having those conversations with yeah, agencies yeah. it makes a difference because uh, that's the only to be honest that's the only way it's really going to change isn't it because the clients are where the whole the whole process starts yeah there's no agencies without the clients um let's just finally have a quick look at any other things that's jumped out of the profiles frank it was interesting to see donna imperato at um bcw has announced her retirement but still in charge and she says i'm working very closely with mark reed my successor is very important to me and my people but there's nothing to announce yet so no new ceo on the horizon immediately there john saunders at fleischman hill had said by the end of 2023 that's the pr week agency of the year for the last two years by the end of 2023 i hope we will have grown in a three-year period by 40 percent or so which is kind of uh Amazing if you think about it. And he's looking at high single digit growth this year. Was there anything else that, that jumped out, Frank? Um, you you mentioned um, before uh, some of the profiles that I talked to folks for. I mean, you mentioned uh, Richard Edelman said he's going to, you know, more forcefully defend that uh, the work that his firm is doing. And, um, you know, of course, noticed during that interview, he was very quick to point out a lot of purposeful uh, work uh, that the firm is doing as well. So, you know, uh, he's out there making the case 
for why they should be doing the work that they're doing. But I, I, I think largely this was a year in which CEOs were uh, talking about economic conditions uh, and what they think is going to happen next and, and really trying to get ready for what 2023 could be or, or you know, maybe even you know, prepare for the worst, hope for the best type of thing. Yeah, as in, uh, to that point, Weber Shanwick CEO, Gail Hyman, said, we're all obviously watching the economic conditions, but we're still seeing strong performance. So that's good to hear. And um, it was uh, Mike Doyle at Ketchum said, we're helping organizations build and defend their reputations using digital, social, and influencer marketing, all anchored in data and analytics. And then the last one I wanted to pull out, Frank Shaw, I'd love your view on this. It's from uh, FGS Global CEO Alex Geiser. He says, agency is the word is a word of the past. It's totally fine to define yourself through creativity or getting product marketing across. But in boardrooms, the word agency is too closely associated with the advertising world. And that's not what we do. That was really interesting to me. What do you, what do you make of that? Do we need a new word? Should it be not be the agency business report anymore? <laughs> Just the business yeah, report. I, I don't think I have a super strong opinion on it. I mean, I, I, I don't intrinsically have a negative association with agency. And of course, I worked at agencies for years. And so, yeah. I'm, I'm, so maybe I'm slightly, uh, I'm slightly biased. Um, but I don't feel like there is a massive need to rename the work that we do. If there is a perception problem, changing the name doesn't help that. And obviously, Alex's firm is very much in that sort of high end. He, they would be one that you would work with for an acquisition or M&A or a, right. a crisis or a, a more of a, 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 an organizational change. So, But I thought it was an interesting quote anyway. We love a good sound bites, don't we? So let's finish talking of sound bites. We, this year, got every agency to give us an inspirational quote from someone famous or, or someone not that famous uh, in some cases um, that they felt summed up the culture of their agencies. So, Frank Washcott, did were any of those sayings that stood out for you? Or even even some agency founders in some cases yeah, who, yeah, who themselves are uh, yeah. old fish names. Um, yeah, I would say, in, you know, uh, happy to see uh, Andy Warhol break through. Uh, and uh, a personal favorite was the agency who quoted Michelangelo, though slightly disappointingly not in the original Italian. <laughs> yeah, to your point about agency founders, I always love an Al Golding quote. His was, uh, stay curious to stay relevant. And uh, David Ogilvy, we have a habit of divine discontent with our performance. It is an antidote to smugness. There you go. And one agency quoted Yoda. That was Bospar, I think. Do or do not. There is no try. Um, Frank Shaw, any, anything that stood out for you? Or have you got your own uh, inspirational quote that guides uh, the Microsoft team? Yeah, the, um, I've got uh, um, a little uh, piece of art in my office that uh, it says, think like an engineer, like, write like a poet, uh, oh, which go. I think is uh, good advice to our team that works with uh, – a lot of uh, engineers. And then if I sort of wanted to pick one for me, this sort of captures like the stress of the job. It's got to come from the princess bride, right? You know, uh, uh, you know, the, one of the best movies of all time when he's talking about being trained as the, uh, the dread pirate Roberts. And he says, every night you say, good night, Wesley, good work, sleep well, I'll most likely kill you in the morning. <laughs> 
And I just feel like that describes my job. It's like, good job today, Frank. You know, sleep well. We'll probably kill you tomorrow. You say you haven't been watching Succession, but that does sound like a quote that might fit into that show. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, a good one. And I like the first one, left brain, right brain. It really sort of says a lot about the modern PR pro and what they do. I'm going to finish with Miles Davis because I liked this one a lot. It's not about standing still and becoming safe. If anybody wants to keep creating, they have to be about change. And I guess, if anything, that sums up this whole podcast, doesn't it? That's what we've been talking about. So, uh, yeah, listen, do dig into this content. It's, there's so much there. We've, we've, we've only scratched the surface. Loads of work went into it. And it really is, if you want a sort of one chunk of content to inform, you know, your strategy moving forward or get a feel for the PR industry, where it's at, what it's doing and where it's going, this is it. This is it. There is so much there, so much to dig into. And um, we look forward to getting your reactions to it. And we'll have some guests over the next few weeks to dig into it a little bit more as well. Thanks so much to the two Franks. Frank Shaw, always a pleasure to hear from you. And uh, yeah, really excited about trying to use AI to make us do our jobs better and not just turn us into robots. Great. It's always good to be here. Fascinating conversation. Super bullish long term for the work that we do. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. Frank Washkut. Thanks for uh, having me on. You're not, Appreciate it. You're not a robot yet, sir. Not yet. Not yet. Working don't, on it, though. Don't forget our Global Awards in London next week, 9th of May. That's the big event in London. Forget about this coronation. It's the PR Week Global Awards on Tuesday. The healthcare conference I spoke about with the first live edition of the PR Week, produced by producer Bill Fitzpatrick, live on site. It's going to be Sally Sussman, Richard Edelman, and loads of other great content and the Healthcare Awards, 24th of May. We've got our Women of Distinction celebration on the 31st of May and our Brand Entertainment Awards on the 6th of June. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. PR Week.